SBS live streams and podcasts are supported by advertising. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to another episode of Take It Black podcast. This week, I'm joined by NITV's Sydney journalist now, Shani Wellington, and Stephen Oliver, who is this week front and up, new documentary coming out of NITV, SBS. Looky, looky, here comes Cookie. How are you going, your mum? Good, mother. Good. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Which Mr. Way? Oliver. Which way from Queensland? <laughs> First up, Shani, how's Sydney? What's going on up there? Oh, look, I'm just sitting here on my lounge uh, talking on this podcast, looking out at the beautiful trees in Sydney. You not got a motorcycle. my ring off, that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not missing Canberra too much, but yeah, just like you mentioned, Jack, I've only been here for three three weeks now, but I'm settling right into you city, city slickers in Sydney. Well, I'm recording this from home and my son's just run in. And oh, you'll probably hear him going, Dad, Dad. And, uh, How old is he? He's four. Ah, uh, <laughs> He's come in, he's, he's uh, we're in lockdown, still there. He's come here. from that other dimension there. Yeah. Uh, he's come from the other dimension. Of, he's come from the Xbox dimension. Daddy. So, <laughs> He's asking me to get pizza for lunch. Um, oh boy. So, yeah, our listeners know that we're recording this from uh, from Zoom and stuff because of COVID lockdowns. Uh, so you're going to hear a little bit of the building site that's next door to me. There'll be drills and sirens and things going on. And you probably already heard a motorcycle going past uh, in Shani's place. Or you, know, you might have that Harley. Um, starting up in you, know, uh, <laughs> you want to hear an interesting question uh, story saying that yeah. yeah when we were filming um you know uh, in in the doco where we uh where were trials and you know you got the mob there the, you know all them black fellas with the motorbikes and stuff like that yeah you had the mob wanted a photo and that and uncle asked me um if i could get a photo of me sitting on his bike yeah so, so yeah. i posed up on his bike but i said which way uncle i said can i pose up sexy way and you reckon no nah, my bike don't like that <laughs> well, let's talk about the documentary. That's what we're here for. It's going to premiere on Thursday night, I think. Um, yes. I had a bit of a squeeze at it. Didn't get to see all of it, but it looked pretty good to me. And uh, look, maybe just give a bit of a summary to listeners so they know what's coming. Um, well, it's a doco, you know, it's, this year's the 10th 50th anniversary of our cook's arrival to these shores. And... You know, the most of the stuff throughout history we hear about is the perspective from the ship. This time we kind of wanted to get the perspective from the shore and, you know, give our, give our side of the story. Um, but we also wanted to utilise music um, and create a modern-day song line. Um, you know, kind of like about the black experience. Um, and, you know, because music is such an integral part, you know, black follows in, like, our identity. It's, you know, music wasn't always about 
getting a number one hit or you know selling the albums or fame it was about teaching us law you know ceremony it gave us identity you know it reaffirmed who we are as Aboriginal people you know like I was saying it you know through songs we were told this is who you are this is what you're meant to do this is your purpose you know what I mean um so yeah we want we want to use utilize you know that kind of thing and so we got you know together with some very deadly mob um you know who who were awesome on the project, wrote new songs um, that sound very deadly. Um, you know, that talk about a lot of issues, you know, that, you know, we've been talking about for a long time, so it's been good to do it in a way of now we're singing about it as well. But we've also been singing about it a long time, you know what I mean, when you look at all our, you know, all our mother who come before us and stuff like that as well. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was deadly. And what you've mentioned there, it's really cool that, you know, you don't only get a learning experience out of this documentary, you come out with kind of this tangible song line. Um, how, how did the idea of connecting the two come about, you know, kind of utilising this film um, to teach people so it can go forward? When did you kind of think that that would be the end product? Oh, you'd probably have to ask McGregor that to direct. Because <laughs> um, what we, I mean, well, him and him and Danielle, uh, so Danielle McLean is um, produced with our Tamarind Pictures. Um, but, uh, you know, the guys that, that were talking about, I think, before they approached me, because it was going to be an idea of using art in that as well. So we were going to, you know, like, you know, average art throughout, throughout it as well, kind of like an animation thing almost. So, I mean, which we still have animation in that. But, um, I think, you know, when it when it came to it, we just kind of realised, well, you know, like like with Gregor said, they hit on the songline idea. And that's something that Aboriginal people have done for thousands, thousands, thousands of years. You know what I mean? Um, and so they approached me to write, um, to be the writer presenter. Um, and I was a bit tentative at first, because I'd never done a doco before, you know what I mean? Um, I've always just been like either a simpleton or, you know, singing up or chucking myself around on stage. But, um, you know, I... I was kind of like, oh, you know, how, how would it go? But that's, you know, that's what I thought. That's why I should do it. Mm. You know, get out of your comfort zone. Like, do something. Do something. And, you know, it was the most rewarding experience um, ever for me personally. But then also it was kind of because, you know, those McGregor and Danielle and those guys, they, they gave the artist, I think, kind of like a, you know, kind of detail on the journey, like, you know, kind of dot points. And it actually goes to go away and write songs. And so you know, we're writing the documentary at the same time as these mobile writing songs. So for me, it was kind of hard to picture how it was going to turn out in my head, you know what I mean? Mm. Was, you know, McGregor, he, he had an idea of how he wanted it to turn out. And then when, you know, when he went away and edited and pieced it together, um, and I saw the end result, you know, um, I felt very humbled and very privileged to be a part of it. You know, I felt very lucky. Even in the sense of like, not just getting to work and, you know, uh, work with certain people or meet with certain people, young with them, but also the places I get to go, because I think that's the other thing about this documentary, is that it's not just talking about Cook as an, this entity, it's not just talking about you know, Aboriginal people and who we are in our struggles, but it's also showing the land as this other you know, entity that is there, that is ever present. Mm. Um, and it's showing you know, people, you know, I, I think it reminds people how beautiful land is and how we need to take care of land. Um, you know what I mean? So that I think I think McGregor just did an awesome job of that. Because it's like when people say when they love this country, I you know, I put the question, well, when you say country, what do you mean? Because country can mean different things, you know what I mean? So are you talking about the country, the land you live on? 
or are you talking about a country that has these systems and values in place that some people will benefit off and others don't? Yeah, so look, to take a step back, I guess, a little bit. Um, one of the questions. <laughs> well, you do. You actually do a bit of moonwalking in the, in the show. Actually. I was impressed with that. Um, well, then, then I read uh, your interview with Carla Grant for Living Black um, overnight, and you were always performing from a young fella. So you probably nailed that moonwalk pretty young, eh? I did. I did. Um, well, you know, Michael Jackson is my number one. It's another. Oh, do you want to hear my Michael Jackson story? Yeah. Uh huh. So. Of course, we want to hear the. Okay, okay. So, so back in 1996, I was studying in Perth, and uh, we were getting ready to do our, you know, practice for our either media show and interview show, one of the two. But um, Brian, who was the student stage manager, who had come uh, from the. Uh, Australian Academy of Performing Arts to work with, with our mob, the Aboriginal Music Theatre Training Program. He walks into our class while we're in class and he goes, Michael Jackson is in the Arcane Bookshop. And we all went, yeah, right, whatever. Like, we actually you know, swore maybe, eh. but he went, no, 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 no. Michael Jackson is in the Arcane Bookshop. And so I know there are a lot of black kids, but we screamed, we went to that, you know, that class and our teacher's like, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Where hour and a half later, we still there at the time of that bookstop. Yeah, I'm shaking, please, because, you know, like I said, another man just does a kid. Yeah, and anyway, so I see our top note, Michael, I'm Aboriginal, I'll cry before you. <laughs> so no good now, they got the, they got like, because they had a big glass window, because this bookstore, right, from where we studied, was only like 20 metres away. So that's why we run down there screaming, you know, we didn't believe that fellow. So, you know, there's about 200 people in front of this bookstore. And we're all like trying to look in, but they got a, you know, sheet hanging up so you can't see him properly. But we're all there, and then you see him walk past it, everyone scream like, ah! Oh, they'd go quiet. He walked past again. We go, ah, scream again. So they're no good now. Um, security come out. And they're like, oh, we need just to make a path. He's got to get out. He's got to, you've got to make a path. So what do I mean? My were like, just get him out and get to the front. So no good now. When he come outside, you know, we're like, ah, everyone's like hands out screaming. And out of all the people in the front of the bookstore, he shook my sister Corinne's hand. He shook our friend Barbara's hand. And he shook my hand. And then he hops in the Tarago. And anyway, they close the drive, you know, close the door, they go to drive off, but it's a red light. This is in Northbridge. So me, I couldn't help myself. I ran out of stuff in front of Tarago, I reckon. And look back at me. Big wave. Waved up. Big wave, waved up. My arm was numbered here. Murray thought he was the biggest celebrity. I go back to everybody that story. And so no good. Um, I was at the court hotel. And these two guys did this girl come up to me and they're like, oh, you think I shoot Michael Jackson's hand? And I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, Uncle, can we shake your hand? I reckon, yes, you may. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to, but I'll tell you the funniest I thing. Watched the funniest it thing. Since the lad. <laughs> I, it went numb. When I went, when I was up my auntie, I was screaming. I was there using his other hand. I don't want to touch that. But um, he, you know when Pete did that that tour when she did those fifty concerts around Australia. So yeah. I, went, I went to that concert now. So this is back in nineteen ninety six that I shook Michael Jackson's hand. So the Pink concert was like two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. You know, about 15 years later, and I go out, I walk out of the concert to go to the canteen, and while I'm lining up, this usher, this woman, she comes up to me and she went, are you the guy who shook Michael Jackson's hand? No. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, yes. And she goes, oh my God, I remember you telling that story at the back of Ross's place at a barbecue. And in my head, I'm thinking of who is Ross? Like, I couldn't even think of who Ross was. But she remembered, she remembered me in that story for like, yeah. 
from all those years ago. So it's crazy. Right then, when you when you mentioned Usher, I was like, "How long is this list celebrity?" Um, Don't talk. I've seen that Usher. Met? I was I, just. I've like, seen. I've seen. I've never met Usher, but I've seen him in the flesh. But I won't say where. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you another time. Uh, this podcast is taking a real turn. <laughs> So yeah, so anyway, yeah, I've always, you know, and and that's what that's who I would dance to when I was a kid in the backyard. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can remember one of my first film clips I remember seeing is "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough," mm. and that's still to this day is one of my favorite Michael songs. You play that song, I will shake my cheeks nonstop. Yeah. You know, I will get up and chuck it around. I don't care how puffed I am, I'll still be there swinging it around. But um, you know, even that's all. Because I remember, remember how it's got those big bubbles in it. Mm-hmm. And me being a kid, just thinking the way the kid thinks. I remember thinking like he was in a pinball machine. Yeah. When I was watching it. But yeah, so that's all my life. I've, I've shook my cheeks to Michael. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you want to wipe on with that. You want to wipe my cheeks with that disinfectant rag. <laughs> don't, you want to hear Party a story? Right no, no, here, don't talk. I can tell you a story about that. <laughs> no, I'm going to drag it back to... The documentary, oh, so yeah. we can... Good on you, Jack. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, my, yeah. that's my role here. I am the anchor. <laughs> really, man. Look, um, Australian history, is it blurred? Do we have yes. a blurred history of Cook? That's that's what the document, the question the documentary poses. What's yes. The, I didn't see it to the end, so what, what's the result? Do we have a blurred history of Cook? Um, yes, I think, I think we do in the sense of, you know... I, I think the one thing I learned when, you know, when people say, what did you learn doing this doco? I said, the one thing I kind of learned is that, you know, whether you think of Cook as a hero, whether you think of him as a villain, people never really kind of question why. We have this, we have this general idea of why we should think of, a person, of that person, do you know what I mean? Mm. But we never delve further deeper to it, to, to see the deeper, but the bigger story behind the picture, you know what I mean? Um... And so I think in that sense, and I think it's because we've always been, you know, like I said, there's, there's a saying I love where people go, if you want the truth, there's never a single truth. You, you get all the stories about a subject, certain subject, you take a piece of each story and somewhere in there is the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that saying. And I think it's because, you know, people are saying, well, this is the truth. And it's like, no, well, that's your truth. This is, this is our truth. Mm. And then it's like, you know, how do you get those those truths to me? Um, well, that's the narrative, right? That's a strange... It is the narrative. Well, that's you know, I, I get asked about, you know, within, in uh, primary school, uh, when I was in high school, um, you know, about, you know, you'd read these books and it's always about, you know, so much was devoted to, not, you know, not just like, like Cook, but Burke and Wills or, you know, these famous explorers that traversed this country, you know, who, let's be honest, a lot of them all would have been ended up dead if it wasn't a good blackfellas showing them where to go. You know what I mean? Like, we don't talk about the blackfellas. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't talk about Uncle in the documentary who met with Cook and broke the spear. We don't talk about, you know, this side of history. And you would sit in class and you'd have these books that would be hundreds of pages. But then you get like eight pages devoted to Aboriginal people. And it was usually accompanied with a picture of Aboriginal people going to war and throwing spears at each other. Or standing on one leg. Or standing on one leg, which I do in the right. show as well. I do that as a doc as well for a part. You know, but it's that thing of like, um, you know, the, the story, like the story that I think it was Channel 7 or, you know, one of the commercial networks, but they did a 
the story of us. They were talking about Australia as a whole. And, you know, they, they did the first hour dedicated to Aboriginal people. But I think it was even like Sydney area. So I think it was just Sydney mob that they did. And then the rest of it, the yeah, eight episodes is devoted to colonial history. And it's kind of like, well, why does, you know, 60, 80, 100,000 years get one hour, one episode, and 200 years get seven? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it was that, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And I think it's, you know, until we kind of, there's, there's a thing I heard the other day that I loved. And the guy was saying, um, we don't, we don't know the fact of history. We know the legend of history. Yeah, absolutely. And it's selective, right? Yes. Yeah. There are moments, there are events, uh, there, is, there are journal entries in the captain's log that may, necess may not necessarily be as accurate as the preferred national narrative would like to... You know, well, like the, the you know, going back to think about being selective, you know, it's, it's why I talk about... Also, you know, I was talking with my sister um, up in town the other day. She was telling me about um, a friend of hers who's a worker in a mine, you know, and um, sister girl, you know, because she's fair, they might have thought she was a white fellow. They actually admitted to her that when they find, um, you know, uh, Aboriginal art or, you know, rock art, they blow them things up. Mm. If it gets in the way of where they want to mine. So yeah. then you look at WA, the way that what that's going through with all the more blowing up, you know what I mean? And then, and then you know, deregistering 1,200, you know, heritage listed sites and these places are sacred sites as well. Yet, and you know, this is rock art that's thousands and thousands of years old. Yeah. Yet they have a pergola that was 150 years old and they pay like fork out 2 million just to move that pergola that's yeah. 150 years old. You know what I mean? So it's that thing of that being selective and that it's like, you know, because, you know, I even talked about the thing about Black Lives Matter. But it's also that black history matters. Mm. And if people want to know, you know, that, that, that history is important. And this is what I always say, people, because if you, history is our greatest teacher. And if you don't listen, if you don't learn from history, then you're just bound to repeat it. Mm. And, you know, and the general thing I say too is like with us black fellows, people need to be aware of the way we get treated or the way we're looked at and viewed as well. Because we're the testing ground for a lot of things. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What human rights can be taken away from us, then those human rights can be taken away from others. Yeah, and we, we see that with the, the uh, cashless debit card. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And other things, you know. So it gets uh, run, trial run with mob and then implemented in other places like Bundaberg, Cross Broader Society. Or Broader yeah, exactly. And that's when people get upset about it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you should get upset when they started testing it on us. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Hey, there's one bit in the show um, where you spoke with somebody about what happened on Possession Island. Is mm. that right? Yes, Possession Island, yeah. Give us a bit of an idea, give our listeners um, a bit of an idea well, of what that was. The, you know, this story of the mob, you know, mob up there, they say that Cook never actually even landed. He never even set foot on the island. He never planted no flag. And even if you look at, um, like, Joseph Banks' journal, mm. he's got no recording of it. He's got no, you know, and if you're, if you're a botanist, you get off the ship and you go on to land and you take notes of the plant life. Yeah. Joseph Banks hasn't got that. There were artists on the, on the endeavour. Um, no one drew anything. The closest thing they have to something of, you know, a, a visual representation of it is a painting 
that was painted in 1800, in the 1800s, long after this is supposed yeah, to be yeah. um, Which and, that was and, the and, function and, of art too, eh, back then? You know, art served the state function just as much as it Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Art, yeah, it's, instead of, you know, art, art being, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't interrogated, it was used, it was used to, you know, that's why people get upset. If like in Melbourne there, remember when they had that black baby Jesus in a manger and a lot of people lost it because the baby was black? No, I can't remember that one. Yeah, well, there, there was a, well, there was a, there was a, uh, What year was that? I might have been. Just only a few years ago. Wasn't that long ago? Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, a lot of stuff blows into it. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> you know, it's kind of thing a lot of people got upset about that. And it's like, well, hold on. Well, Jesus is from the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, and because of this imagery of Jesus being blue, white with blonde hair, and people would, and so that's, you know, that's, that's the problem that one people just take things at face value. And we still do it today. I'm amazed at, you know what I mean? Like you look at the thing of where people will share a link about the most ridiculous thing and people don't even interrogate it. Yeah. Or, you know, or they'll say Morgan Freeman's dead and next minute you've got million people, millions around the world going, oh, you know, he was such a, you know, honestly, but the man's still alive. Like nobody even, questions you know no one interrogates things further anymore and yeah. i think that's kind of even what we want to do with the documentary it's just say just don't always accept things at their face value as yeah. well you know what i mean like question interrogate well, that's the, for me the big thing a uh, you know, bit of a uh, nerd in terms of history i'll, I'll pick up a history book and, and have a look at it you know mm. and one it doesn't take that much curiosity or you know interest inquiry or whatever but it's pretty easy to find out that uh, Europeans were landing on Australia's shore, not only in the west coast, but up on the west coast of the Cape, you know, on the, on the yeah, east yeah. coast, essentially. Yeah. The show, they were landing up there in 1609. The yeah. And they were, in, you know, they were still pulling people, you know, mob. They were still grabbing them and using them for slavery, you know, taking them yeah, off, yeah. carting them off around the world. But we don't, none of that history is in these little history books that we get at school is it it's always it's all yeah, starts, it's, it's, starts it's about, yeah it's not about putting that narrative it's what we we're talking about you know it's just the thing like people are amazed to learn that aboriginal people were trading with the indonesians and with the chinese mm. you know they were trading for hundreds of years you know, yeah. you know up to like over a thousand years of trade and that all stopped because oh, i can't remember the exact year but i think it was like in the early 1900s they brought in an act yeah that's right stop people you know to stop people doing trade. Yep. Um, and, you know, and, and see, that's the problem with a lot of history. It's like, and always people say, this is why I get you know, frustrated with when people talk about um, that Europeans came up with everything. And it's like, no, well, a lot of stuff was stolen and appropriated. Like, if we're going to talk science, science started in Baghdad. Mm. You know what I mean? And now people think of Baghdad, they think it's a place with terrorists and that's where we want to bomb. But that was where actual science, you know, the science of the way it's turned in a, and again, a Western context. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, well, that's it. They even think... writing, even writing, when people, when they look at writing, the, the writing comes from the, from the Middle East. You know what I mean? That sort of style of writing. Like, and so people, you know, they, it's amazing how people just so readily accept a narrative because it's comfortable or it benefits or it, or it, it aligns with the way they see themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we only listen to the source of history that we get taught through school, science and writing 
you know, they'd have us believe that it only came out of the Enlightenment yeah. of the, the 1700s. So yeah. all of that stuff prior to that completely wiped, brushed, forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Intentionally, too, I might add. I forgot this. And I feel but, like, you know, some people, when it comes to history, they don't want to engage because sometimes it can be dry, right? We all know that, that sometimes history it just you know, he, not, sometimes comedy can be dry too, believe me. I'm a I'm a perpetrator of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, contrary to that belief, and I was watching this, you know, I think some of the language you use and it's quite funny to me that you kind of said you weren't sure if you were, you know, going to take the job and and steer the documentary. Um the most engaging part of it I thought was the humor throughout the documentary and the visual storytelling that um, people will be able to see when they, when they watch it, you know, the animation of, you know, cook sailing around and all that kind of stuff. It really brought it to life. And, you know, when you talk about him having a Doris around Tahiti, you know, that made me laugh. Um, Was that (laughs) when you were making it um, and you were going through this creative process, was that a big focus for you that you wanted it to be, fun and engaging for people to watch yeah well you know it's, it's always i i have a saying where i go you know i think comedy can be the first step to be taken seriously um you know and i think it's kind of you know it's kind of sucks that you'll have to find a way in to have a serious conversation you know what i mean without just being able to have a serious conversation um you know but it's like i say usually people if you could share a laugh together, then maybe you could share a hard story as well. You know, people don't want to just off the bat get into something, um, you know, that, that might, um, what do you call it? Offense, not the right word, but kind of interrogate the, the sense of, you know, of identity or, or you know, of or reality and stuff like that. But I think that's also because we live in a society where we're, caught, we're taught to only care about the self. You know what I mean? Like it's every man for himself. It's dog eat dog, you gotta look out for your own. No one else is gonna do it for you. You gotta do it, you know, we, we have this mentality all the time. And I think a lot of the time people have cut themselves off from feeling anything. You know, you gotta be strong. You gotta get through, you got bills to be paid. You gotta do this, you gotta, don't feel, don't feel. And if, if you can't even feel for yourself, then how can you be expected to feel for another? Do you know what I mean? Um, and I, I think that plays a huge role in why people don't want to have these conversations because people are told not to feel. And so I think at least with the laughter, that is a feeling. You know what I mean? You're feeling the joy. So then if you can use that humour, you know, to, to to disarm people in the sense of like, you know, um, I'm just trying to share with you hurt. Mm. Or I'm trying to, you know, and I'm not wanting you to just... You know, quite, I'm wanting you to join me in that hurt. I'm not wanting you to just feel that hurt on your own, because at the end of the day, you know, that's that's, you know, and that's that's the thing about connecting, as well. Sometimes you're not going to connect with words. Sometimes you're going to get to connect with feeling. And so, whether that's laughter or whether it, whether it's sadness, that gives you a deeper sense of feeling. You know what I mean? Of connection. Mm. And further in the documentary, near the end, you get into 
a really powerful spoken poetry. I feel like I'm kind of seeing behind the curtain of Stephen Oliver right now to hear you oh. talk about that process. You want to be scared of what you see? <laughs> <laughs> but is that, uh, you know, is that kind of some of your thought process behind it? Like, a, is that an insight to how you approach your professional work of balancing that humour and that comedy, but at the same time addressing really tough issues in in your performances? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, when I write, it's, you know, something funny will come to me. And sometimes I don't always put, you know, the funny stuff in, because it might detract from something else of what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, um, it's, this is going to sound weird, but it's like, it's not intentional, but it is, if that makes sense. So what I write, because I just hear these conversations in my head or I hear the, you know what I mean? I, I just, sometimes, you know, I can't, sometimes it kind of, it doesn't keep up with how fast I'm typing or how fast I'm writing down because it's just, I'm hearing these things in my head. And so then it's, it's like, you know, these things are coming from somewhere and, um, you know, it's like, it's like the offerings basically. And then, you know, it, it's, it's deciding, because I know, it's, it's like, say, say, for, say for example, with um, the poem, I'm a black fella, that's in it. Hmm. There's actually a really funny line that I had in that, um, but that McGregor took out, but I could see why he took that out. Because, well, not only because of the runtime, uh, but because I think of the way it's presented in the film, it would have it conflicted with it. Whereas when I do it in person, it's a completely, different thing. Yeah. I don't know if you want to hear it. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, sure. And see if you can guess which part was left out. <laughs> <laughs> a game for uh, y'all uh, listening. A game for y'all. Game for y'all. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm a black fellow. Not a drunk, criminal, uneducated, unemployed, welfare dependent, slack fellow. And if you try to tell me different, well, you might just get a smack fellow. Not that I condone violence. I just don't condone silence. And when you try to tell me about what it means to be in Aborigine, with your stupid ass jokes, stereotypes, and discovery channel mentalities, what well, I'm afraid I have to speak up and let you know about me. See, I ain't what you've seen in your travel magazine. And I haven't got the look from your history book. Noble, maybe. Savage, no. And as you talk about my words and the way that they flow, but this isn't about styles. It's about attitudes. It's about people who formulate their ill-informed views who switch on the TV and then suddenly, out of the blue, they know all about me. Oh, he comes from that race involved in a car chase. It's such a disgrace what they do to the place. I mean, seriously, in this day and age, you want to learn about me, you need to learn to engage and base your decisions on things that you see make up your mind by talking to me. I won't rob you or beg and I won't try to fight you. But if you're a man and you're hot, I might like you. Yes, that's right, I'm single, I am. I'm using my rhymes to try to get me a man, but enough about that. Because I'm here to teach, to beseech, not preach about the hearts we could reach. If you stood by our sides and simply just talked to them some of the time in our footsteps you walked, then maybe you'd see we're not young and free. We're ancient and chained from the stains that remain from our past that still been dealt with properly because people don't get off their ass. Instead, I'll read articles, switch on the news, and somehow through media, the lies become truth. Just like when people see a drunk black man on the street and somehow from that, that black man becomes me. But the drunk white man who stumbles and falls, oh, he's not a reflection of a race at all. So open your mouth with perceptions of a lie. Learn what it is to not see with your eyes because I'm a black fella. Not a drunk, criminal, uneducated, unprepared, welfare-dependent, slack fella, and I'm trying to put your minds on the right track, fellas. 
So question yourselves. Challenge ideals, start a revolution. Are you part of a country's problem or the solution? I'm guessing by the reaction, you know which one was left out. <laughs> I was going to buzz in at the moment, but you know, sort of I was thinking, do I end it there or do I keep going? I don't know. Better, better give it the whole thing. Uh, the that whole thing. That was so powerful. That was fair. Uh, uh, thank you. I wasn't on mute. I was just sitting here in silence, captivated. Uh, yeah. Make me want to sing up that song by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> we won't have any Simon and Garfunkel on here. I know. Well, copyright too. <laughs> Might get into trouble. Uh, well, those other artists that are on the the doco, Trials um, mm. worked pretty closely with all of them. But who yeah. are they? Tell us a bit. Who we got? Um, so we got Trials. We got Birds. Uh, we got Alice Guy. We got Moju. We got Uncle Kev Comedy and Mal Power. All our six very Deadly mobs, different styles of music. I love that about the documentary as well. Is that we, yeah, we've like in, incorporated like these different these different genres that mob do. Um, but I found it interesting too when you look at the process. So we've got, you know, oh, excuse me, but uh, like uh, birds, um, the trials, Upkev and Mao. They all kind of talk about this thing about warrior resistance yep and then when you look at um moju and um alice they're talking about loss yeah gotcha so i even found that you know like a, a kind of interesting aspect of the thing um yeah, yep. yeah. but but again it's that kind of thing of like you know and i was saying because people are saying you know kind of was it hard to get everybody and i'm like well no and I, I think that's because people talk about you know being from different countries and stuff like that and i said well, for me, no, because we've all gone through the same policies. Yeah. We've all gone through that same experience. So we've got, we've got different languages, we've got different you know, cultural practices, we've got, you know, different creation stories and stuff like that. But the policies that have been placed upon us mm. have all been the same. And we still have that same experience today. Did, Charles, <laughs> did Charles uh, put it on you to record an album? No, but he went to me, but he had, but he had this spoken word. He's like, yeah, now you can spit some rhymes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, if I wasn't shambled again and did a whole concert. You mean that AB original when next album? Yeah, yeah. and that would have been sick of me. I would have been like Beyonce trying to take over. Let me get out. Say that you you got all these powerhouses in one room. Are there any Beyonces or what? No, everyone's dead. Well, even like when you look at Mao, and I love the joke he says about the Black Beatles. Like, dry as Joe, but, but cracked me up. We got, we got the Black Beatles. Um. <laughs> of course, Kev has done a lot of stuff uh, on Cook in his, in his songwriting and, and other areas of his writing as well, from wherever that was back in the early 80s. So yeah, you've, yeah. you've really got a broad cross section of artists on that song line, haven't you? Well, you know, when I'm talking with Uncle Cam, this is where I kind of, you know, this is where I had one of those moments of like how just, like, you know, I can't stress the importance with my, and sitting down and talking to our older people. Like, you know, we, we, we get that inherently, a lot of us, mob, but there's so many stories and there's just so much that we don't know, or that we don't even think 
to ask. You know what I mean? So for example, um, you know, one week when we're flying to a location, I missed Uncle Archie Roach, um, you know, on the flight on this album and he's playing with the um, Australian Symphony Orchestra or Sydney Symphony, but I think it was the Australian Symphony Orchestra, but he's at the Opera House. And, you know, he's singing his songs and he's singing, he took the children away and he's got all these beautiful, you know, strings and everything in the background. The following week, um, you know, talking to Uncle Kevin, I can't even remember how this came up, but he tells me the story about how, and I wish I remember who the other person was that he was with, but they were, you know, they were at the block on Redfern. And, um, and he said how Uncle Archie came in and said he had this new song and he showed him, took their children away. And they said, hey, that's deadly. You got to get that on crew radio. So they got out a tape and just put it on. He just sang it and they taped it on a you know, tape recorder. Yep. And then they went there with that tape to crew radio and the next day it was playing on the radio station. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you hear those stories like that. Well, that's, um, where, it, that's yeah. where it kicked off for Archie too. They, uh, yeah. I think that's where... Uh, Steve Connolly from The Messengers, he heard that playing on Curry Radio, you know, doing whatever yeah. he was doing, listening to black people's music. And he, um, next thing, he's got Archie the gig supporting Paul Kelly and The Messengers down here at the uh, Hamer Hall, as it was known in those days. So, Yeah. Well, see, and, see, and, and that's just, yeah, that's what I mean. It's phenomenal. And then to hear that, you know what I mean? Like, like cause Uncle Kevin just said he's such a uh, sweetheart as well. Like, yeah, it was, um, yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at, really, is that, you know, um, the connections there of relationships. Kev yeah. to Archie, you know? Um, yeah. In this documentary, Kev to uh, Birds to Alice Sky, you know? It's, it's, it's really... Well, um, it's, it's, it's that thing of song lines. Do you know what I mean? To that thing of that, that even connect. And that's what, you know, as I get older and people, you know, we think about, you know, people going about the meaning of life is. Um, you know, the, for me... You know, the middle likes to connect. It, you know, it's something, you know, and I think that's why we, you know, actually, I should probably do a shout out of the shirt I'm wearing. Um, it's called Yarn's Heal. It's about, a, uh, you know, the suicide prevention with our mob. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, suicide is a thing, it's such a huge part about, you know, sadly, you know, the suicide rates are just ridiculous with our mob. But that's that thing of like, even when I was going through all my depression and burnout and stuff like that, it was only, you know, I realized it's because of that disconnect and I was disconnecting yep. from everybody mm. and I was isolating myself. Yep. And it was even those things of where I was having these thoughts, you know what I mean? And when you sit around you having these thoughts, you justify them in your head, you know what I mean? But when you talk to people and you hear out loud what you're thinking, you know, you, you, you realize how absurd it was what you were thinking. And, you know, I've, I've heard a saying where I love, like, Talking is how we organize our thoughts. And so then when you're talking to mob, and you know, it's that thing of connecting to mob, you know, again, and it's that thing of like, you know, connecting to mob is so important because it informs us of who we are. You know, we can say, oh, well, I'm this person, but it's like when I was writing my play from darkness and I'm sitting around with, you know, these Aboriginal actors and we're having these discussions about you know, what happens to them all the spirits and stuff like that. And the reason why I wanted to write that play is because I get tired of when they talk about our spirituality as if it's an Ooga Booga thing. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's, well, it's, right, it's just a very matter of fact thing. But while I was listening here to these other mob talk, and I had this moment of going, I'm only Aboriginal because these mob are Aboriginal. Do you know what I mean? They inform 
my identity and who I am as well. So that, that, and that comes down to humor and everything. Mm. Even when, you know, you talk about in the documentary where I go, um, he wanted to have a Doris, but when he tried to land that plane there, uh, what's that? Well, but, uh, but, he, but he couldn't land, uh, what's that plane? Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's yeah. that thing of like, other mob have informed me of that. And then I inform other mob of that, you know what I mean? So that, you know, it, it is all about connect. And that's what song lines, they, they connect this whole continent. You know what I mean? Like some guys like to say, some go for a few kilometers, some go for hundreds of kilometers. But at the end of the day, we understand that deep connection, not just to each other, but to the land. Mm. You know, and, so and time and time as well. And time. Well, you know, I know that's what I talk about with, you know, this thing about how it's kind of become a joke when people talk about Murray time and Curry time. Oh, you know, they're like, oh, we don't know Murray time, we don't know Curry time. And I've realised now as I'm well, as I'm older. People could learn a lot from that. And that's because that's because black people. And Cook even said in his journal where he talks about um, we said, you know, they are far happier than we Europeans. They have no need for the superfluous, you know, or any other want that they have. Um, but that's because with our mob too, we were very much in the now. You know what I mean? We live in a society now where we go, you've got to have a five-year plan, you gotta think of your retirement, you gotta plan for your funeral. You got to, you know, I'm even amazed. I watch, you know, because I, I love sci-fi. I'm even amazed that you got mob talk about the end of the universe, which is billions and billions of years left. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so when you've got this thing where you're always constantly living, pacing yourself forward, always thinking down the you're never here in this time. And so that's why, you know, I was thinking about that one day and it made me realise that when we talk about dispossession, you know, mob just went dispossessed, dispossessed of their land. They weren't just dispossessed of their culture. They were also dispossessed of their time. Because now, and that's why I think we see, you know, so much suicide as well, because we live in a thing where we're so disconnected from ourselves mm. as well. And how can you be connected to yourself when you're constantly thinking there, you're placing yourself, you know, ahead of this time. It's like, and, you know, as, as much of a, a tragedy, this COVID is thing, and it's such a horrible thing, it is. There was this kind of thing of where it slowed down the world. And for that brief, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, and when you felt that, so, and, it's, and coming back to music again, this is the amazing thing, because just before I did the Skype, you know, I just finished my guitar lesson. Mm. I've been living above a guitar shop for five years. I've been saying I'm going to play guitar since I was a teen. I remember trying to get my grandmother to teach me, but then I think she got slapped with me and just told me to go away. <laughs> 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 but, um, but, you know, and I've been saying this the whole time. And then... I'm sitting up here one day while this whole COVID thing is going on. And I just went, you know what, just go and do it. Just go and do it. And so I went out, I bought a guitar, um, set myself up for guitar lessons. Maurice had like nine now, feeling deadly for myself, starting to play my songs. And, but um, when I was talking to the guy at the guitar shop, the one I bought, was, he said, that can sound like hot, hot cakes. Because I was even commenting about the lineups that we get outside. Because mm. um, like, you know, I was never seeing that before how busy they were. And he goes, that's been crazy. Like we've been, we've been selling out of, you know, everybody's been picking up an instrument, you know, or wanting to learn. Like, and so, so many people were doing that. And that's another thing of like, when I talk about music, like you think about with our mob, like I'm sure there would have been mob, which sort of been like some were good singers, some were, you know, not so good singers, whatever. But, but still everyone sang and we encouraged everyone to sing. Everyone danced. We encouraged everyone today. We didn't go, you're not good at singing, don't sing. You're not good, you know what I mean? So, we, and, and that to me, that is something, music is something that is inherent in our mob. 
not just Elmo, but humanity. Everyone is meant to sing. Everyone is meant to dance. But we live in a society now where we turn it into a commodity yeah. and a competition about who's better. Well, but we need, we need to get back to that kind of thing of like what, you know, and that's why I love going home and I was shaking. Like, we wanted to you know, do my cabaret show. And I was so bummed I didn't think about it, but I was glad I did it because before I did my cabaret show, I had my mob up. Um, they were performing. They were doing like, you know, singing song and dance, doing Waterman and all that kind of stuff. And then I had to say, oh, now we're going to like, you know, and then what is this one where it's about style? You know, it's just, it's just a freestyle, shake your leg, you know, welcome and we just, you know, do your own thing. And um, so anyway, I ran from backstage while I was in a tuxedo in that place. And I just stood with my mother and I just did like shake your leg. And that to me was so good for my soul because that is that thing again about reaffirming my identity. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think we kind of, you know, we, we, we need to remember the importance of music. And, and like I said, I love shaking my chin. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know, yeah. I love, you know, blasting music going out and, you know, wriggling well, that mouille for someone. And <laughs> the other thing, music is all about time. Timing is the most important. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So You've got time signatures. Yeah, that's right. If you're going to, you know, let's just say that the point of the moment of colonisation disrupted us and dislocated us from our time, put us uh, in a lot of different time or temporalities. And, mm. you know, song lines is our one sort of connection back to re, you know, revitalising, rejuvenating or regaining our sense of purpose and time. Mm-hmm. And also trauma as well. You look at trauma over time. That is a great example of, you know, the dislocation from time. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, we, we forget how healing music is. Oh, you know, and I was saying to my like, and, we, you know, we know this because there's black of us, we go to so many funerals. But I was thinking one day, isn't it funny now how, like, at a funeral every time, you would either hear the person's favourite song or a song that they think describes that person. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's always a song to say goodbye to people when they leave this world. We don't have song anymore when people come into the world. Mm. But as we used to, you know what I mean? Like we would have naming ceremonies and stuff like that. There would always be song welcoming mob into the world. We don't do that anymore. So there's always a song that... So we kind of remember the, the importance of song when we're saying goodbye to people but we don't remember the importance of the song when we're welcoming people. And it's doing like a welcome to country or stuff like that, you know what I mean? I'm not doing a song like that there, but welcoming people into the world. You know, we, we don't do that with, with song anymore. Um, and so it's, it's been really, you know, it, even my journey over these last few years with music has just been a, um, an interesting one. Because I, I found myself at one point, I shouldn't say interesting, but it's because I... I it, you know, I think it's people like the sound, but I think music, when I say a song speaks to you or music does speak to you, I think it does. I think it literally, it, it does. And I, and I think this now because a few years back, I found myself missing music. And that sounds weird to say because there's music all around. We're so saturated in music. You, you know what I mean? Like the music used to sell stuff. It's, it's, you know, you go on YouTube, there's music there. Or, you know, it's just always, the music is everywhere. Um, and so I found that weird to say, and I found, to say, I found it weird to say in a sense that I was missing music as if I was missing a person mm. as well. You know what I mean? And then just, and then just out of the blue, because uh, I was filming my, um, 
web series, The Chance Affair, and Marjorie Heath, uh, my brother boy is a producer for Nova Savage Pictures. He, um, he said to me, he goes, you know what, you write songs too. So why don't you put, you know, songs in there? So then all of a sudden I'm putting songs into this web series. Then from that web series, I show a friend of mine who's a cabaret performer and said, oh, look, I've got some of these songs, maybe I can do a show with them. Next thing I know, we're doing my one-man show at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival. And then after that happens, you know, it was meant to happen at the Sydney Opera House that this year, but, you know, COVID did come along. So, but, you know, that's, everything happens for a reason, I believe. But, um, you know, and then, but on from that, I get asked to do this documentary that has music in it. And so I just find that music is always this, and like I said, I've been dancing since I was five years old, or when I was, you know what I mean, in the backyard. And so music is a, is a very important thing to me. And it's, it's just that thing about, it wasn't just music I was missing. It was Stephen Oliver. I was missing. Well, I look forward to the album. There's got to be an album coming. There's a documentary for me. From you, from you. <laughs> and that's starting. I'll be like Whitney. Whitney I'll be Whitney myself. First. I was here, I was expecting, I was expecting to my guitar, I was expecting to my guitar teacher about what tearing is. I said, yeah, I'll be there tearing myself. And he kind of looked to me funny. I'm like, no, no, I mean like, you know, like Whitney, when she hit and busted herself in them high notes, she tearing herself. So that's what Blackfellow been with. And now you're tearing himself there. I look forward to it. <laughs> you with the guitar just doing the full Whitney. That's going to be... Oh, yeah. Screaming. I'm going to dance with somebody. I'm going to shake somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Combine them all. Get the Michael Jackson dancing, the guitar. It'll be a full on... Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll moonwalk while I play the guitar singing Whitney. Uh, yeah. Into a shaker leg. We don't ask a lot of you, do we? Doesn't take much to entertain us. It's a challenge. <laughs> thank you, Shani, for joining me. And Stephen, thank you for coming on to Take It Black podcast. And no worries. Looky Looky is going to air on Thursday night. Hopefully this episode will be out in the world before then. Uh, look, until then, um, you can get all of the other episodes of Take It Black on all of, at all of the spots where you usually access your podcasts. You can also join us on Twitter, uh, hashtag Take It Black. Throw a follow to the Twitter account. Uh, that way we know what you're up to as well. And until then, just remember to, Shani. Take It Black. Mm-mm. Take it black, mate. I want to. I want to write a song called "Take It Black." If you want to take it black? You better take it black. <laughs> There's our next theme song for the podcast. Go on, then. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, your mom. Thank you. Thank thanks you for the album. No worries. Bye bye. Catch you Wait. soon. SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.